Hello, I'm Matthew Packwood and welcome to Masters of Motion. Each episode, I'll be chatting to some of Australia's and New Zealand's leading motion design, animation and visual effects artists. Today I'll be talking to Rob Connolly, an outstanding creative director who started out in country Victoria where he gained a degree in graphic design before heading off overseas to work in LA and San Francisco for Method Studios and Yukonco. He returned to Sydney where he worked at Foxtel for an extensive period, developing outstanding broadcast brands and working in visual effects, motion design and directing. He sharpened his skills working at Resolution Design, Spin Effects and Cutting Edge before becoming the creative director of Engine. Today, me and Rob will be having a chat from my office in Melbourne to his studio in Sydney. So you might have to bear with us if the sound quality gets a little rough. Can you hear me, Rob? Hey, Matt. How are you going? Thank God all the plugs are plugged in and I can hear you now, which is great. Let's go for it. First of all, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about students and what you would like to see in their showreels and how they should market themselves. What would you say to students who are developing their showreel and preparing to move into the industry? What I'd love to see when they're at university is just trying as many different things as they can because it's, it's their time to explore. You're not having clients sitting over the top of them. Ultimately, you're not really having deadlines because you can always shift something. You do have assignments where you've got to put things in, but one of the things I'd always say to a student is just go for it. Get a brief, try something different. You know, there's nothing that's holding you back by you know, trying to do it with motion graphics, try and trying to do it with paper, trying to do it with photography. Like have a play and try to explore it and use that time wisely. What would you like to see in a student showreel? I kind of expect at minimum about three to five pieces, three to five interesting pieces that they're, they're happy with showing. Uh, and it can be print and it can be motion graphics and it can be, it can be pretty much anything. But there's always one piece in there that you go, huh, okay, you kind of get it. You know, that's really quite nice. Even though it might not be fully formed or a fully finished piece, but you, there, there's just something in there. That's pretty much what I look for. How do you think recent graduates should market themselves when they're trying to get their first job? They should have a website, have something that's viewable, have something that presents themselves in a professional light. Um, you know, and that's just, as I said, a couple of three to four pieces of work, put it on the line put it on the loop, put it on uh, Behance and have that so people can find it. But I think the the other thing that I'd love to see students do more of, and we do it a little bit here, is actually do things differently than everyone else. So instead of just writing an email or instead of just putting a website out, for example, do that, but then on top of it, make a phone call or go and visit or when there's an industry night, actually make sure you go up and talk to someone and go and see them and then go, oh, can I pop in for a while and see what you guys are doing and what are you working on? So you're doing a little bit differently. And I think whenever we've had people come in and done that little thing a little bit differently, you're like, huh, okay, you actually want to come here. So that's pretty much what we're looking for most of the time and a good design sense, but pretty much someone that, that is thinking about it a different way. You know, for example, I'd say, the next time your students intend writing an email, tell them to get on the phone. For example, let's say if you've got uh, a student that wants to get into a print design studio, why not actually physically write a letter instead of writing an email? Now, do something a little differently like that because people in the industry will go, when they receive things like that, they'll, they'll, they'll appreciate it. So I think those little things would be some of the things I'd say to just, just give it a go. Any advice on what not to do? 
I'd say don't use other people's work in your folio. Don't use what, <laughs> that's one. What to not put in it. I'd say things that you're not happy with. That would be the one thing. If you're not happy with the work, don't put it in your folio. And that, you know, that always gets down to the thing of like when you are putting a, a showreel together or a, a folio, you should always put as much as you can into it. Then stop, sit, go back and take two things out and your folio will be instantly better. Do you think that students should try and get appointments to see creative directors even though there's no jobs advertised? Yes, I would love students or other people to pop in for a visit. We're always happy to see people in Adventure to come in for a visit. Give me a call, shoot me an email, send me a letter or something and we'll try and find a time for you guys to come in. So now I'd like to talk a little bit about how you got into motion design, how you become a creative director and some of the projects that you've been working on. How did you discover motion design? Is there any key moments that you can remember and tell us about? For me, there was pretty much two distinct moments and I clearly remember them when I went, wow, I can actually do that. And the first one was uh, a lecturer of mine in my second year had gone away to the US and had come back and he'd visited RGA and a bunch of different other studios and he basically brought back one of their showreels and during a class he showed everyone the work that had been going on in the US. And this is you know, mid-90s, so you're looking at like um, uh, Jack Jackson commercials and things like that, really beautiful looking work, like really high-end work. And I remember sitting there going, oh, okay, so I don't have to just do paper stuff, I can you know, print stuff, I can actually do motion graphics. From that point on, pretty much like in my, my final year, I started to do a bit more of that. But the second time came about where um, I was at a, a conference in Melbourne. It was in, in our third year. And I remember John Warwick coming up and uh, speaking and literally what he did is just walked on stage, came out, looked around, looked back over and went, play the tape, mate. Literally then played the, the showreel of Tomato around that time, which was, you know, lots of kinetic topography and, and lots of really crazy, crazy, like, different things that I hadn't seen before. And I remember thinking at that moment, right, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. So from that point on, I always remember that as the, the thing that um, made me want to do it. I remember that showreel. Is there somewhere online that viewers can see it or could you describe it to us? The showreel starts off with you're in a, a desert scene and you're seeing burning burning fire. So I think it's like during the Iraq War, or the, the first Iraq War, and it just holds there and the camera's just slightly just moving and then you just hear this kind of electronic techno music come over the top and this giant helicopter just comes and lands straight in front of the camera and then you get this beautiful piece of topography tomato come up and then it goes into their commercials. I just remember seeing that and going, oh, my God, that's incredible. That is utterly incredible. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, you know. At the time, like, you hadn't really seen anything like that, so it was pretty incredible. Okay, so let's move on to becoming a creative director. So tell us about how you built up the confidence and the courage to want to become a creative director and what do you think the attributes are that a good creative director has? I think there's been a couple of important steps for me personally. That's, I, I guess it starts when you're a designer. You kind of start winning things, uh, especially pitches. I think that's when you start to think, well, I can actually do this and I'm actually not bad at it. Um, you know, I'm not saying I, I win everything all the time, but you know, there's a it's a pretty good feeling when you think, oh, I just got that, fantastic. I wonder what else I can get next. 
the pretty much, I'd say, the first time when I thought, you know, I'm actually not bad at this. I was working at UCO in LA at the time and we were working on a pitch for CNN. And eventually we got it. Um, and just after that, I was just thinking, yeah, okay, this, this motion graphic stuff I can actually do. Um, so that's probably one of the most important things. To becoming a, a CD, I think a good CD is someone that's got experience. Um, and that's experiencing a lot of different areas. That's what makes a really good CD. Um, and I think over that time, as you're getting experience in other different areas, whether it's VFX or design or motion graphics or uh, shooting or anything like that, you're just building up to the point where you're the person that's directing uh, what's going on. Because I think I think a designer can direct and a designer can put together things, but it's that point where you are taking control of everything and you're having an understanding of everything and having the experience to do it as well. I think that's what makes it really good CD. Could you tell us about what it was like working at Foxtel? I had a fair bit of time working at, at Foxtel, and this is 2003 until 2009, I think it was. It's getting a bit cloudy. I loved it, to be honest, straight up. I loved it. It was really, really fun. It was really fun working for a, a giant studio, you know, for culturally, because there's so many people there. So... There's a lot going on. That's, that's one of the differences between a small studio and a big studio. Lots of different spots going on. Um, around that time as well, with regards to Foxtel, there were a lot of things that were kind of new. You know, there's always a new channel coming on. There was always new things going on. Um, what was also quite exciting for me is that there were opportunities there to do things that hadn't been done before. Um, you know, push the VFX angle a lot more. Um, you know, things like that, which for me became and quite important and pretty much one of the reasons why I stayed there a long time. Uh, one of the things I really loved about being at Foxtel is that you're, you're your own client in a sense. Uh, and that, that for me as a developing uh, creative was really important around that time where um, even though you do have a client, for example, the channels that you're working for, they're, they're your client, but there's always that option of, oh, it's not ready yet. Do you think we could just shift the deadline for the promo to go out or for the TVC to go out just a little bit? So you had a little bit more of a, a cushion, I'd say, um, which meant that, you know, for, for example, like, I always tried to do something different when I was out there, whether or not it was character design or character animation or whether or not it was police you know, characters or directing. Or, so I actually gave myself that opportunity and you know, that was one of the best things I found about Foxtel is that uh, there was that opportunity to do that. While you were at Foxtel, did you get the opportunity to work on creative projects that you really enjoyed? We had a number, a number of really good ones. The V-Hits rebrand, which was 2007, I believe it was, or 2008, around that time. I really enjoyed that, you know, and that was from top to bottom. So that's logo, look and feel, straps, on-air graphics, finance, um, promos, Everything, great project. Then it, it's the people that you're working with out there. Uh, I had a really good friend that I was working with out there, another director, Luke Farquhar. So we would always kind of pair up together and, and try and push certain things. We did this crazy shoot where the whole premise was about this evil spawned TV babied head being birthed out of this young girl. So the funny thing was we initially had a live baby. 
So <laughs> we had this baby on the shoot doing the thing and then after he cried once, the mother came in and scooped the baby out and we had to use a plastic baby, so, which was probably better. Uh, but actually having to do like character uh, work on that and then all the VFX work was quite, quite a fun time. And what were the briefs like? Did it allow you to, say, come up with an idea that you wanted to shoot and you could go out and shoot? And did you really have a feeling of you had a safety net with all those people working with you? Oh, de- oh look, definitely. And a lot of a lot of the, and which we can talk about this later on, like a lot of uh, my confidence in interacting had come from when I was working at Foxtel because um, you're always involved, like... I guess the designers around that time, the promo producers, for example, are the ones that are, you know, normally the ones that were having to go on the shoots, but they always take a designer with them. So um, one of the important things is just to go onto a shoot and then they basically would take you to go, they'd look over you and go, oh, do you think that green screen's going to work? Or is you going to have to paint that out? Or, you know, all those type of things. And then eventually um, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can shoot that. I'm going to shoot this one. I don't have to do that. That's fine. The fact that you are your own client out there means you do have a bit more of a safety net, which is actually a really nice thing. So now I'd like to talk about the topic of creative direction, especially how do you take the step from being, say, a senior designer or a senior animator to a creative leader? One of the things I always, always kind of knew is that there would be a certain point later on in my career, and, and we're talking 20 years ago, even when I started out, is that there'd be a certain point where I wanted to be the person that was you know, leading my own projects and, and designing things. Ultimately, I wanted to be the one that wasn't, uh, I was handing off things to people to, be, to get built and not vice versa. Um, so that, that was one thing I always kind of wanted to do. Um, and one of the things I was quite lucky with, in, I think, in my career is that I got to work under a lot of very strong and... and uh, exceptional creative directors, uh, Garson Yu at UCO, uh, Mike Abink at Method, just guys that are really solid, they know what, they, what they're doing, they're, they're comfortable with how they direct, they're comfortable with how they're, they're creative directors and how they go about it. And, and even a lot of the things that I do now, I kind of go back and think about what they would have done um, and how they would basically get people to do things ultimately. I think some of the most important things about uh, a good creative director is something that has has a vision. Uh, You don't always have to have a vision, but it's important that when you do get a brief, you're able to understand what the client is looking for and then basically allow you to and then push your team into um, getting the the, the best result out of it. some of the other skills, I think, you know, basically you're looking at management skills is another big thing. Um, and I think you, you kind of learn those things when you're a designer, like managing your own time. But ultimately what you've got to do is is try to figure out the best way in which to manage other people. Um, that's, a, that's a big thing, to be honest with you. Managing other people is 50 to 75% of my time um, where you can literally do it yourself, ultimately, because you've got a skill set to do it yourself, but that's ultimately not what CDs do. CDs are basically, brief comes in, and then you start to go, okay, I've got X number of uh, designers or or VFX people involved. Okay, I'm going to farm out the work to this person, this person, and this person. And then you've got to 
figure out the best way in which to get the best out of them so you can get the best result for your client. Um, so that's one of the important things. I think another important aspect of being a, a good creative director is, is having experience and experience in a lot of different areas and on a lot, a lot of different projects. I think that's one of the one of the key things. Uh, I always kind of chuckle every once in a while when I see very, very young CDs and I just have a look at their work and go, oh, okay, all right, that's, that's kind of interesting because for me, and this goes back to the CDs I always worked on, but they were they had a fair bit of experience. So if something came from left of field, you knew that there was something that they kind of worked on or had seen in the past that would help you get to where you wanted to go. So that experience is very important for a CD. So really what I'm trying to get at is what are the specific sort of steps that you had to take to sort of get those skills you need to direct? The position I was in a few years ago, I was a pretty good designer and I could take a brief and do a design thing and put that stuff together. And the things that, that I think at a CD needed, um, you know, I, I know that I needed to do more writing, for example. So I started to read more and make that a priority. I also started to write more and make that a priority because the writing component is, is another really important step in becoming a CD. But uh, I think also as well, like, being able to stand up in front of people and talk and actually talk for a while. That was one of the things I, I don't think I was very good at initially. <laughs> when I came out of university, I was always like, oh, okay, I don't want to do that. But that's a very important thing, like being able to write, being able to stand in front of people and talk. And, um, and then on top of that, being able to listen to a certain point and being able to give interesting feedback in a conversation. That's another important thing as well that I've kind of learned. Uh, and that's just been, for example, putting myself in a position where I would be the one running the meeting, where I would be the one that was during um, uh, staff time, you know, basically basically talking about things. So just being, getting comfortable in those things I think is quite important. Um, I have done a couple of little writing courses here and there just to, you know, my English initially wasn't very good. I'll be the first one to say that. My wife thinks I'm still terrible. Um, but, you know, that's also one of the things that uh, I felt was important. Alrighty, tell us a little bit about sort of how you direct a job, sort of what you want to see. I like to see more, I like to see different, and I like to see, uh, like, different versions of new things. So, for example, it kind of puts me in an uncomfortable position when a designer only shows me one thing that they've laboured over and they've kind of made it to what they want yet when he would have been or she would have been better off doing 10 different things and not laboring over it so much so actually getting that that um, variation that's one of the things as a cd i require out of my designers did you do any like classes on creative direction or that sort of thing one of the things i did spend a lot of time and whether or not that's, this is important as a CD or not, but just spending a lot of time and reading certain books and certain books about management, and certain books about um, how to how to how do I say this like uh, lots of lots of like I, I spend a lot of time reading Malcolm Gladwell books, for example, because they talk about different ways in which to talk to people, manage people, and influence people, and all those type of things. Because there's certain points, for example, uh, that you need those skills. Um, and there's certain points where if you're in a meeting and the meeting's going south, you need to identify who's the person that you need to focus on or when not to talk and things like that. So getting as much information about those type of things is very, very important as being a CD. 
always found the management of staff and staffing issues probably a little bit more tricky than the creative issues and the creative challenges. What did you think about that? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting thing about, about being a CD and about working with people and about, like, you can't always be the friend. <laughs> like, for example, like, I know people want to come into the industry and think, oh, it's going to be fabulous and everyone's working together and they're all together, but there's a certain point when things have got to get done. And it's one of the things I always grapple with because I really like the people I work with really really like them and I always find myself getting to the point where you know sometimes I do chuckle wobbly and I'm quite short with them and you know I, I always try to uh, not do it every single time but I'm finding myself um, doing it as like a tactical thing when I know I need to get something done quite quickly I, I, like I can even hear it in my voice my voice to get a bit lower and I'll start talking a bit slower and type of thing so uh, that's, you know, an interesting thing as well. When you've got a lot of projects on and it's very busy, how do you get the focus on high quality and finishing it really well rather than sort of just pumping it out? But that is one of the main, main challenges about being a CD is, is getting things done and then, and then being a good CD is someone that can actually get things done uh, and whether or not that means that you have to be a bit harsh sometimes and you, you just use certain ways in which you become, you know, a little bit harsh. Um, but that's, that's what, I guess, one thing about if anyone's wanting to progress into being a CD, that you've got to realise that it's not just about, you know, coming up with the thing and making it beautiful and stuff. There are difficult situations every once in a while, and that's one of them, having to, having to manage, manage people and manage people's expectations, manage clients' expectations and manage... Um, uh, the job expectations, manage your studio you're working for expectations, and then managing the expectations of designers as well, um, which can be a challenge, as, as you know. Yes, I always found it uh, frustrating that the work that paid the bills often never satisfied the designers. All right, so let's move on. So what do you think of the important methods when you're presenting and selling your ideas? It varies a lot, and I think it comes down to how well you know the client, have you worked with them in the past? And then if they're a new client, how you tailor that to them? If it's an existing client, do you take a little more relaxed? It just depends on the client and the project pretty much. Like for example, there's a, a TVC coming up for a car brand. So we're going to basically, and it's a, a new client, but it's with a, an existing, another CD that we've worked for in agency land, but he's at another agency now. So we, we know him, but it's the first time we're ever going into the, um, the agency, so we're going to pull out all the bells and whistles. And, you know, and that means get dressed up, get a really great presentation, make sure that, that it works on a TV screen, you know, all those type of things. Whereas I do a lot of work for MTV, for example, and I just pop over there with a couple of little boards and we talk, you know. So there's, there's a different, different way. And it just ultimately comes down to the job, what it is, and uh, what you want most to get out of it. But one, one thing I would say also is that one of the most important things I find about pitching, especially pitching for directing work, if you haven't spoken to the agency or the brand verbally on the phone, then your percentage of getting that job goes down dramatically, dramatically. That's one of the things I think is very, very important, being able to get on the phone, talk through the brief and hear what they're talking about. You're right. A written brief never does justice to talking to the people and fleshing it out. Now, 
Do you think that selling the idea is a really important part of presenting? To be honest with you, I think sometimes it's very difficult for, especially in visual effects, for people to see it. I think because we are learned in a certain style, you know, we think, yeah, this is a great board and it's going to explode here and the person's going to pop out. Yet the CEO at a company that's making the decision looks at it and go, I don't get it, I don't understand it. So it's very, very important to go in and sell it. Yeah, I do think that's very, very important. And on top of that, that's like I think that whole selling thing is a package. It's important to have the writing clear and concise so you actually have descriptions of your boards. Um, the boards are very, very important, don't get me wrong. But let's say if you've got a, a series of uh, for a commercial that you're putting together, you get style frames put together and then you basically write about that treatment and then you go in and you pitch it and then you talk through them with them. And the, the, the pitching style for me isn't about going in and just talking, 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 talking. It's about going in and having a conversation with them because then they start to engage in the, in the pitch, which I find is very important as well because once they start to get involved and they start to like your idea and then they start to think, this is a great idea, they start running with it. So when, you, when they lead a meeting and they go to the people that need to make the decision, they're kind of batting for you a little bit, which I find is, is an important step. It doesn't always happen that way, but it's, <laughs> it's an important step. Do you focus much on the written side of the idea and, you know, expanding out the idea in written forms? All of this stuff, to be honest with you, Matt, just comes down to time. If I have a fair bit of time, yes, I'll spend more time on it. If I don't, there's probably a minimum that I require. You know, for example, it's about, like, let's say if we're doing a, a directing live action TVC, you just put in what the camera's doing, where the actor's going to go, uh, how the shot's going to move, things like that. But whereas if you've got a bit more time, you actually then explore it a bit further. But I think the writing is very important because, you know, it is that skill that everyone can pretty much be able to engage with. Whereas I think sometimes boards and just, just style frames get you there, but not as much as if you've got beautiful style frames or keyframes done or a storyboard done and there's a, like a pretty, pretty uh, straight up description of it. And one of, one of the things I would, I would say for everyone to do, and I do this with my process is once you've actually written something, give it to someone that hasn't read it and <laughs> let them read it. Because if they don't get it, you've got to go back and rewrite it or just to make sure that there's no spelling mistakes or typos or stuff. Yeah, I'm incredibly paranoid about spelling. Uh, I can't believe how many times I've got things proofread and checked before they've gone out. It's probably one of the most important things. Usually everybody stuffs up one before they really get hardcore about it. You got any nightmare stories? Early on in my career, I remember on a print job, we spelt, and it was for an artist um, exhibition, for a flyer that was coming out, we spelt one of the names wrong on the flyers, and it was like, oh. So what are your thoughts then about stuff-ups and things going wrong? One of the important things about um, being, a, being a good CD or being a creative director is being comfortable in, in an environment where things go wrong, because things always go wrong. I guarantee it, every time there's a project, something always goes wrong. And if you're, if you're lucky, you've gotten away with it and you're in the studio and it goes wrong. But I have been in meetings where things have gone wrong and just sitting there going, okay, this is going south, let's just see where it goes. Sounds painful. Well, let's talk about something that can also be painful but sometimes quite pleasurable. Uh, what are your thoughts on pitching? I'm in two minds about pitching. I 
absolutely love it. Then again, I absolutely hate it. Now, the reason I absolutely love it is it gives you an opportunity to get in front of people that normally you wouldn't get in front of. Let's say if no one pitched, and uh, then what would happen is that the relationships that you've built up, for example, then the client would, wouldn't allow anyone else to come in. They would just go to the people that they know. So that, that's, that's the thing that I think is very, very important, being able to get in front of someone that normally you wouldn't get in front of, and the pitch process allows you to do that. Um, you might not win, you might not get it, but just having that opportunity to pitch something, and then to be honest with you, from time to time, you will win it. And that's the thing, you know, and that's that, that, that uh, great feeling you get when you've gone up against larger studios and you've come away with a win and it's because you've been able to pitch on it. One of the really great things about pitching is it allows you to explore something and explore something without really having the client come in and go, can you move it left or can you move it light or can you change the character or no, can you have a blonde in there instead of a, a dark-haired girl or something like that. It allows you to explore and explore your craft. It's one thing I do love about pitching. Pain in the ass thing about pitching is that if you don't win it, it's a big fat waste of time. I wouldn't give up pitching because of it because I think the bonuses outweigh the, the negative. It's a pretty big challenge for the uh, positives to outweigh the negatives, especially when you're not getting paid for it. What do you think about paid pitches? That is one of the, the negatives also as well, is about not getting paid for pitching. Uh, I have heard about companies that require, you know, a, a small retainer for pitching, but I'm always very wary of that. And the main reason I'm wary of it is, let's say an agency uh, gets you to pitch on a series of boards then ultimately they're paying you something so they ultimately own the boards in a sense. So they're kind of owning the creative. Not being paid for it, oh, oh God, it's, you know, it's like yes or no. I'd love to, look, honestly, I'd love to get paid for for um, <laughs> to pitch. That would be fantastic. Just imagine we'd all just pitch and not worry about it. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I think that uh, everybody would be, like, much more financially better off. Um, what about when you pitch some work and you don't get it? And then you look at the final product and it looks similar to what you pitched. Ideas have possibly been borrowed or stolen or you just sort of came up with the same concept. What do you think about that? I've had that happen a number of times. Like we recently pitched on a, a major network current affairs program that was, to be honest with you, it was actually one of those funny stories where we, we came up with beautiful boards. They were beautiful looking, like amazing looking 3D and stuff. And we went over and pitched it and we met with everyone and we were in a giant room of, I think it was about 30 people in the meeting. It was crazy. So I'm, I'm there yakking on and for about half an hour going, yeah, this is going to be fantastic and it's going to rotate here and all this type of stuff and so just going for it. And then um, at the end of it, I stop and then you know, after my presentation and no one says anything. And I swear this silence went on for about two and a half minutes. It was, it was kind of like, fuck, okay, did I just die and I hadn't realised it. Um, and then literally everyone was waiting for this one VP to start talking and then they started talking about it. But the crazy thing was is that there was another company that was pitching on it and then they were pitching after us um, and eventually we, you know, we weren't successful in the pitch but pretty much what was pitched was pretty much what's on air at the moment. It's a bit like... Oh, okay, that's quite interesting. So it happens. It does happen. I think people can get a same brief. And I think to that, everyone's looking at kind of a very similar stuff, like influences-wise. Everyone's looking at 
very similar things. So if there's something in the in the ether at the moment that everyone's looking at, that's going to influence people's um, briefs um, and then their direction on briefs. And on top of that, especially in Australia, for example, the talent pool is, is you know, it's not as vast as it is, let's say, for example, in LA or London. So you are getting creatives or, or freelance creatives that are jumping around. So their styles, you know, the glossy, shiny thing or the, you know, the the topography thing are kind of mixed and matched in these different departments, so in these different studios. So that's where sometimes you get that overlap. Now I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the transition from being, say, a visual effects, motion graphics person to a director of live footage. Yes. Um, I'd, like, I'd always kind of... Because I've worked heavily in VFX in 3D for years before I really started directing and directing live action. And so the thing is you're constantly working with the camera and you're able to do things. But I always kind of felt and thought about how I looked at my uh, 3D as in a, a filming kind of way. Like I'd never used the, the, the current lens on the, the 3D cameras, for example. I'd always kind of move my lenses around and I'd always try to think of it as a, like a moving camera. Uh, I'd always kind of set up my 3D back then to have them on like little dollies or little tracks. So it would kind of emulate what was going on in the real world. For example, that's like I was going to shoot for real. The the things that kind of pushed me into that, because I was doing a lot of like channel rebranding, ident type of work, um, there were opportunities that came up that meant I could shoot live action as part of those design elements. Um, and I, you know, one of them, for example, these uh, was for the hits, and there were literally it was just like instead of having um, kinetic typography jumping up and down. I just went, well, why don't we just have people jumping up and down and dancing? You know, that's kind of an interesting thing. And it's a music channel. Yep, makes sense, perfect sense. So it was just like, okay, let's do it. Um, and then it's all that bit of like suck it and see and, and go from there. It's like, is this going to work? And then um, you, you take it from there and then you keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but there's always, this is always the thing about directing. There's always a first time, like the first time you do any uh, like piece of camera where people are talking. Now, that's an experience when you first do that and, and having not done it, like I, I had directed a lot of people in live action, but not actually talking. So, you know, having that experience of not experience of um, not having to listen to someone's delivery um, because ultimately in the end the commercial is going to or the take is going to be used not because of visually what it looks like yes that's important but it's going to be how they deliver their lives so that was kind of an interesting one do you think it's important these days to be multi-skilled like do 3d 2d uh, go out and do live shoots and be a director what are your thoughts on that i think it's more about if you think about a t-shape and it's not about the T-shape upside down where you've got a generalist knowledge about everything and then you're skilled up in one thing. I think nowadays it's about flipping that on its head and being multi-skilled but specialised in a lot of different things. Um, I think that's very, very important, especially in a commercial environment because the, the jobs change a lot. Um, being able to, especially as a designer, for example, to be able to not just design, but to be able to, to animate, to be able to do 3D, to be able to uh, be involved on a set and do some uh, on-set VFX work, um, because you can always bring in the specialist flame guy or the specialist character animator guy, but that 
that designer person, which which ultimately is the, the main creative in that in the scenario, has to be multi-skilled in a lot of different things. Uh, so I think that's very important. I think the further along you go in your career, that's where you should be. You know, when you start out a year or two out, you should have a general knowledge of everything ultimately, or you should have had a, an, an understanding of what 3D is, what topography is, how to kern something. You know, the, they're those things that I mean, like having having the ability to to look at something and go, oh, that's not right. Why? And then being able to fix it. But when you get further along in your career, especially when you're a senior, for example, you should be able to basically do everything ultimately and do it very, very well. So is that the path you took? Are you specialised in like a variety of different areas? As a creative lead, prior to moving into being a CD, I was, you know, I was doing everything I could get my hands on. I was doing VFX work, editing, I was doing comping, I was on set, I was designing, I was trying to do as much as much as I could because I knew when I moved into being a CD that I was then comfortable in being able to direct people in what they were doing. But I think that's important as well to be able to have an understanding and to be able to have an understanding with regards to time as well. So a designer or a 3D guy doesn't go, oh, it's going to take two weeks. And you can just go, no, mate, it's going to take you a week. It's going to take you a week that, and that's why. So I think that's also one of the important things about being multi-skilled and having that idea. And then on top of that, to be honest, as a CD, at certain points, you're going to have to have to jump back in. So you still need and jump back in where you don't have uh, coverage. Uh, like, as I said, I was doing roto and clean up on Saturday and Sunday, whereas, you know, that's not normally what I do, but I didn't have anyone to do it. Everyone else was doing other specific tasks. I had to, had to jump in and give it a hand. So as a creative director, would you prefer to be on the tools or off the tools? And sort of what's your balance like? I find one of the things I'm not doing is I'm not on the tools in front of the client ever. That's, that's probably one thing as a CD that you, you've got to not do. Uh, I think you can do that as a lead creative. You can be on the tools in front of a client, but as soon as that client comes in, because they're, you know, that's part of what you do as a CD, you are having to engage with the client and you know, basically get them over the line with what's going on in the project. But then with regards to in the studio, you know, ultimately I think people do come to your studio or come to where you're working because there's a style that the, the CD has. So it's still very, I think it's still very important to be a little hands-on, but, you know, there are certain cases where, yeah, you do try to as much as possible not take on the tools, but some points you've just got to. It seems like you're sort of lowering your voice uh, sort of as you end your sentences. Is that your serious style? Funny you said it, like I, we were here uh, until 1am, sorry, we were here until 4am the other morning and we had a whip at 1am in the morning and I swear my voice was at the lowest like this just going through it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that uh, like lowering your voice sort of helps the process of uh, getting your message across, <laughs> makes you sound less uh, angry or serious? It's just a balance, like you can... It's very easy as a CD to push people over the edge, I've found. Uh, it's, it's very, very easy. So you've just got to be wary of that and being able to understand when someone's a bit on edge, you don't want to push them. Um, now I'd like to talk a little bit about your creative process. So once you get the brief in, what is your process for generating ideas? Brief comes in from client. From that point, I'll have a read of it and then start to think, okay, so 
what are they actually after? Are they after VFX thing? Are they after live action thing? Are they after treatment? What are they after? And then from there, we just basically go, okay, we're going to pitch it on in a week's time or two weeks' time, and we work back from there. What do we need to deliver? Do we need to deliver a document, a treatment, style frames, type of stuff? And then from that point, we then start getting into it, really, the creative process after the kind of nuts and bolts have been put in place, where you just go, okay, I need this designer and this designer and this designer. Normally, from time to time, especially with when a brief comes in, you'll have an idea of what kind of stylistically you want to do. And then once you've kind of taken that little step and you've got the designers you want to work with, you start looking for, you know, and I go through this process all the time, finding finding references, finding inspiration. I always like to get my designers to constantly be looking at things. So when a brief comes in, maybe there's something that triggers them to go back and look at something. Oh, go back and look at that green animation that was done by these guys type of thing. So that's kind of an important step. And I always try to get the designers and the other you know, creators that work here to, after we've initially had a brief come in, hey, they have a read of it, and then they come with kind of references, thoughts, and ideas before we really start getting into putting stuff down on paper. Because then, you know, ultimately, I think when you, you just go, oh, it's going to be Helvetica, blah, 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 that's what you'll end up with. But if you take the brief and you basically have a look at it and you've explored a bit, um, you'll get a better result. Well, that seems to be like a sort of common way for people to generate their ideas as a team. Do you think that we're all sort of referencing stuff and it's making the work look the same with, like, trends and styles? Yes, I think there is always a style and a period that that happens. Like, a few years back, it was very much the explainer-type stuff, like lots of, like, bouncing, scripty-type stuff, whereas we're getting into the more now uh, octane renderer-looking-type stuff, if I'm, you know... I'm just pulling these out of like styles I'm seeing at the moment. To the um, uh, a, a few years back, for example, it was very much the 5D look on everything. Whereas there's still a little bit, for example, of the the linear shooting, linear and log, and not doing too much color correction on things. So that that look, that flatter kind of look, um, lots of depth of field. So yes, I think so. Um, I think, and that comes back to as well. I, I think there's lots of really great creative ideas that people come up with but it's also about making sure that when you do go and pitch it the client starts to learn that they can actually do something new because a lot of the times the client will be like I just want that I just want it to look like that so you know if if that's the style that's going on at the moment that happens here too where the the client comes in and goes oh we just want this disclaimer and just kinetic topography type stuff and you just think you sure that's what you want okay fine We'll make it for you, you know, type of thing. So, um, and yes, I think having the internet means that everyone is kind of looking at very similar things a lot. Um, and because everyone is throwing everything online and everywhere, um, yes, influence-wise, you know, it's pretty. It's very similar to a lot to a lot of people. But then on top of that, it's it's what you take from that influence. Do you take the way the camera moves or do you take the way the light's involved in it or do you take the way it's edited, for example? Um, So those things are very, very important, regardless of whether or not it's the same piece of work. You're always going to get something different out of it than the next person or the next designer or the next creative. So now I'd like to talk about one of the projects that you've worked on at Engine. Could you pick an interesting project that you've worked on and tell us about the process, the challenges and the outcome? is that we had an opportunity to pitch on the rebrand of MTV Dance and MTV Music. 
So the two channels, the pitch came in and it was about killing boring. So the, the, he the header on the, the pitch document was kill boring and it just went into a bunch of different stuff. And one of the things that we decided uh, is that what we're going to try and do is not just come up with three concepts and be like, this is the one and this is the one and it's going to work across all of your channels. What we decided to do was come up with as many different concepts as we could and then to that, say to them, okay, one of the ways you're going to kill boring it is by getting away from repetition. So by coming up with a lot of different concepts and then being able to implement them quickly and, and do them in a way in which that, let's say if you're sitting down in front of MTV for the next 18 months, you're not going to see the same identical same uh, piece of graphics for for a while, you know, ultimately. And so in that process, what we decided to do was we were going to come up with a concept every like half an hour <laughs> and just throw something on paper. And then so over a couple of weeks, we basically went through this process of just going, all right, it's going to be, let's say it's a, uh, a dance music show. Okay, let's get cubes and let's throw them around and let's do them kinetic. Okay, that's that, that's stuff around. Great, that's really interesting. Okay, this is going to be about um, uh, fresh new vids. All right, why don't we do dancing rats? So it became about this whole idea of like, okay, let's explore that, let's explore that, let's explore that. So it became quite interesting about how ideas came about because things just popped up and we, we ran with them. So in the end, so what happened is that we came up with 42 separate concepts, <laughs> which is crazy. So we then, at that point, we're like, okay, let's go and pitch 42 ideas. It's, it, it's, it's ridiculous, but let's do it. Maybe they'll choose a few of them, but let's do it. So we fleshed them out to a point where, um, uh, you know, you could say that this concept was for it to be uh, fresh new bits, or this one was for something around. So they're all, they're all basically, you know, all channel branding based time. So, Beautiful document we came up with, really beautiful document, had it bound type of stuff. So it was really great, you know, and going through that process I think is important, especially for, for motion graphics designers to actually have something physical. So we did that and we bound it in this, in this nice cardboard and then we had these little shopping bags type of things. And, you know, as I said, we were trying to kill boring as much as possible. <laughs> so I took a, a designer over when I pitched and um, so we sat down with uh, the creators from MTV and literally stuck uh, a pitch document in front of them and then over the next hour and a half, uh, so I take an idea and I go, right, let's, we're going to try this. And then what we're going to do is we're, because we wanted to try as much as possible, get them to engage in what was happening. I've got a, a fairly good relationship with the MTV crew. So wherever possible, I tried to make it to inject one of their staff members into the concept or the development of the concept. Going through the 42 different concepts, by the end, you're pretty much just like, yeah, you're going to be working on this one. And what we're going to do is you're going to be that person that's in the shoot and type of stuff. So it's a pretty great meeting. Ultimately, in the end, uh, we won the pitch, which was great for us. It was always a bit of that moment of like, oh shit, now we need to do it. <laughs> After pitching 42 concepts, they decided to use all of them. And then from there, we literally did them. And then the really great thing for Engine out of that is that a lot of the stuff that we did during that process, people are still referencing, which is really great for Engine, is that uh, we're getting calls from people going, oh, I really love the dancing rats. Really like that. Do you think that dancing rats thing would work on this? I'm like, maybe not, but what about this? So that's also one of the great things about having done that project is that it's been able to 
to allow the engine to get into certain doors that normally we wouldn't get into. Um, so that's probably one of the, one of the more, more interesting and fun projects we've had here. And the designers love it, but they do love working on MTV, which is kind of cool. Everybody's like a teenager at heart and loves to work on that sort of youth-orientated creative stuff. And the projects can be really fun. Uh, how do you stop the budgets blowing out and what do you sort of think about budgets when you've got that much work to do? And this is a very interesting conversation anyway with regards to budgets, is that there's always this concept of are you going to make any money out of it? If you're not going to make any money out of it, what's it going to give you for the folio? And we always look at jobs that come through the door with those two things in mind. Okay, we might make... 50 to 100 grand, and that's what's for the project, but it's going to take us 100 grand to build it. You know, there's always that trade-off. But on top of that, you start going, yeah, it's going to be a really great folio piece, so let's, let's do it regardless. The budget on that one was pretty good. Like, it was pretty good. It was tight in the end. There were three of us kind of working on it. So we were, for example, there was a, a two- to three-week period where we were knocking out a two- to three, you know, fully-fledged, animations a day um, you know for example we'd start with uh, I think uh, Bruno did the dancing rats one morning uh, there's little there's this little dancing rat things which was awesome done and Beth was working on these other guy dancing hand-drawn people and then later on that afternoon we shot people getting naked in a bathroom and then that night we had three projects done completed you know 10 15 second versions of them cut audio done next we moved on to the next day you know? so because of the budget, but as I said, the budget was pretty good, but it just meant that we weren't spending weeks trying to finesse something that ultimately that, that was the result we, were, we would have gotten anyway. That sort of environment can often lead to like some really raw, creative sort of stuff that uh, you, you have a crack at it and it sort of comes up really nice. Not polished, but pretty good. You've got to love to have access to that sort of work. Well, it's, one of, it's one of the things I love about MTV is that MTV allows engine, and we're lucky enough, we're very, very lucky enough to get a lot of their work, is that it allows us to explore that side of the, the business and the, and the creative that we can just do anything. If it's a really good idea, you can go and sell it to them and they'll normally go for it because they're a music channel and they're looking for different cool things. Um, so that's one of the things we really love about that client, um, which is different too and which, you know, one of the reasons I love having MTV in the building is that, you know, we have... Uh, uh, pet food, car, you know, very, very corporate clients as well, which I love, but it's a nice thing jumping in between them, uh, which is quite cool. And now I'd like to talk about inspiration and growth. Where do you look for inspiration? I look for inspiration everywhere. On my daughter's drawings, I've been collecting them ever since they've started. I've got, and, and I scan every one of them, pretty much since they've been able to draw, I've got like thousands of drawings, that's one space. I'm always constantly looking at things, you know, whether it's trailers or commercials or things online, there's always something that I'm looking at. I think that that's an important as a CD to be up with what's happening and what's going on. So pretty much anywhere. What websites do you go to for inspiration? Motion Graffer I go to, Motion Motionographer, FFF Found I go to, Behance every once in a while, things I'm, watch, I'm watching on Instagram, which I quite like. And then on top of that, there's normally companies and designers and creatives that I like to follow. Like Vimeo, for example, is a good place so you can actually go in and find Bernard Wilbert, for example, from Mothership Digital Domain. I absolutely love his work. So whenever he posts something, I basically get to see it, for example. So... Over your career, who's influenced you? So for me, it's sort of like David Carson in the late 90s influenced me. Who is it for you? 
that's funny. I met David Carson a few years back. It's quite funny. He's a real cool guy. I'd say my key influence, because I keep going back because I still really love his work, is Graham Wood, who's from Tomato. If you ever want to have a look at his work, he's like the born slippy, kinetic graphics, topography, motion graphics guy. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful work. Topographer that used to work at Tomato. The other one is uh, Vernon Wilbert, who's a digital domain mothership. Just different, like VFX heavy directing. Really, really beautiful work. And then on top of that, like I do love David Carson. I do love uh, Carl Cooper. Um, so a lot of those guys. Yeah, Carson New from UCO, I think is, is fantastic. Yeah, there's a few few around, but pretty much I'd say Graham, Graham would, would be my key, key one. How do you sharpen your skills and keep on improving your style? I always try different things. Always try to try different things. Um, I'm always trying to, even though I'm not, uh, like, for example, I'm not a flame artist, but we've got a flame here. We've got a couple of flames here. So over the last two years, I've been trying to get more involved in that, even though I'm not going to ever be a flame guy and sit there and drive it in, in anger. Um, it's it's very very it's very good to have a knowledge on what that that program can do because it means that um, I can use it and then I can also bring in someone who's specialised in it and work with them to actually get the best out of it. Um, style wise, I think my style's always changing. Um, I think that at the core, you know, I, I still love topography. And that's the thing I always kind of go back to, but. From that, it's just branched out into all these different areas, and I think it just comes from what briefs you get hold of, depending on where your style takes you. Um, and as I said before, like we're very, very lucky at Engine to have a, a wide range of projects that allows us to explore lots of different areas, from the MTV and the very creative stuff to the um, Comfortus dog tablet flea type of stuff to the SCG stuff, which is more people, live action, sporty type stuff to, yeah heavier traditional post-production type stuff. So the final question, Rob, what would you like personally and with Engine to work on in the future? I'd love to sit on a beach and hang out, <laughs> have a holiday. <laughs> that's, that's one thing I'm looking forward to, especially after this week. A few things that I'd love, Engine. Look, it, it comes down to brands, I think, for Engine at the moment. You know, I'd love to get, like, a really amazing fashion brand like Nike or someone in the building or Levi in the building. That would be really great. We're starting to look at more car options at the moment. I do love a car commercial but getting a bigger car commercial type stuff. So, so more importantly, because Engine does a lot of varying things, which I was saying, it's, it's more about, for me, about getting those certain brands that fit with what we do stylistically in the building. I think that's a great place to finish up. Thanks very much for taking the time to share your skills and knowledge with us today. I hope it was as fun as what I had sold you. No, thank you, Matt. It's, it's uh, been lots of fun. That was convincing. All right, I think that's a great place to leave it. Thanks very much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a review on iTunes. And you can check us out at mastersofmotion.com.au where you can see all the work we talked about today and lots more outstanding motion design work. Or you can come find us on Facebook. You can find Rob at engine.net.au or at robertconnolly.com.au. Our intro music was by the Australian artist John Vella. Hope you have a good week. See you later. Bye. Masters of motion. Masters of motion. Bye-bye.